podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, good evening and welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory and we are here to discuss some United silverware and I am joined by my very good friends... Adam and Andy. Andy, we'll start with you. How are you doing, mate? Good weekend? Yeah, it's been a very good weekend. It's been a very good week of football <laughs> and, and a very good move for once. So, I am yeah. glad you've enjoyed it. We're going to get on to all that, I'm sure. Um, Adam, how are you doing, mate? <clears throat> doing very well, thank you. Uh, keeping very well. And uh, football wing-wise, it wasn't the best weekend, but still, nonetheless, very good weekend enjoyed. How about yourself, mate, though? Um, yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. Um, just sat and watched football the entire weekend. Through gritted teeth, thing. had to watch Tottenham and United winning one day, which <laughs> is never a good Sunday. But Chelsea lost. So, you know, you win, you win mm, some, you win some lose some. some. <laughs> you find the positives where you can. Um, but welcome to the show, guys. And this week, we're kind of going to start with, seeming as the title races, it looks like it might be over in Serie A. We're having to look elsewhere for a bit of top-of-the-table tension, and we can only start in Serie B, where this weekend, it all kicked off. So, starting with, I think, potentially game of the season. Table-topping, there he goes. Table-topping Frosinone. (laughs) Unbeaten in seven, including six wins in a row, host Palmer, who were chasing the playoffs with, of yeah. course, 59-year-old Gianluigi Buffon still in goal. <laughs> and this game, like, if you have not seen the highlights already, it is unbelievable. It finished Frosinone three, Palmer four. Palmer ended up with nine men. Um, Palmer <laughs> took the lead. I think they went 2 nil up, and then Frosinone pulled one back. The Frosinone second goal is an absolute beauty. The first touch that he takes before putting it into the bottom corner is absolutely unbelievable. But I don't know if any of you saw this. I want to talk about the red cards. Now, the first one for um, Nahuel Estevez. Has anybody seen the red cards? No. No. I think he comes in at about the groin area. Um, No, he goes in with a high foot, like flat out, but hits him flat on the shin. And the guy's ankle is like stuck in the ground. I've never seen two clearer red cards than in this game. He's honestly lucky not to snap the guy's leg. It was an awful tackle. And then the second red, just when Palmer don't need it, they're clinging on for dear life. Um, Drissa Kamara gets sent off for kicking the guy in the chest, a la Van Bommel in the uh, World Cup <laughs> final. Like, honestly, the highest feat in the world in this game. But goals of real quality. The Palmer winner as well is an absolute beautiful goal. And just mm-hmm. a result that nobody expected. We were telling you Friday night, you know, check out the League of Ireland. Oh, there's a Serie A again, there's Premier League. No, yeah. it was Serie B all along. Seven goals. There was the seven goals I predicted. I said seven for Milan <laughs> Atalanta. I just got the wrong part of Northern Italy. <laughs> yeah. um, so an incredible game there. So if you've not seen the highlights for that, really check mm-hmm. it out. But Adam, we're going to go to another um, story in Serie B. And a chairman for Tanana, what's he been doing? Yeah, so uh, Massimo Cellino is uh, 
having fun at Brescia, but we have to talk about a certain chairman that likes spitting at his own fans, it seems. Or is it the fans that are giving it to him? I don't know. It's one of those, right? I think it was the opposition fans. Um, and basically, as the game ends, now Tanana, who, funnily enough, are currently, apparently, in talks to be bought out by the Fulham owner. Um, the car, yeah. Is it Tony Khan? Apparently wants to buy Tanana and expand his football empire. Well, he got caught spitting at the opposition fans, um, and his defense was basically, well, they spat at me first. Um, <laughs> this is like, in terms of Italian chairman and what they get up to, this isn't really that bad. Um, but you can imagine the reaction of the fans. He's having to be pulled out of the stand by his staff. It's all very undignified, but all very Serie B and Italian football, to be honest. None of it is a surprise. Um, he said, there are violent people, but I'm made of steel. I'm 114 well-divided kilograms. I made this city change skin. I spent more money than other presidents. Spitting, they spit at me, and I spit at them. So that'll teach him, I think. Um, <laughs> do we think we need chairman like this in the UK, Andy? What do you think? It had a bit of colour to the championship, right? I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, I can't really sort of imagine the Glazers coming down and start throwing hands at Terrence <laughs> Moore or something like that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I mean, we've done a bit of entertainment. There wasn't it the, um, <clears throat> speaking of, wasn't it the Nottingham Forest owner uh, that went on the pitch of a gun? Uh, back in yes, Greece, in Greece, I so believe he did. Yeah, NPR there you go. Yeah. So there is a little bit of uh, potential for that. So we can <laughs> we can hope we can hope that one day we'll see it down. Uh, yeah, we'll see it at the city ground. Maybe you see um, it on the last game of the season where we need three points, and he just starts <laughs> just firing watching. shots into the air. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but Adam, you did also mention, um, but people's ears may have perked, Massimo Cellino. What's he been up to? Well, anything that's possible. But apart from that, it's uh, screwing over Brescia, it seems, uh, because they're not doing so well. They lost this weekend to Bari, which will please your other half, Rory, 2-0. Um, mm -hmm. and that keeps I can't in the talk hunt. about it. Last time they, yeah. they dropped after I mentioned them. <laughs> well, I'll talk on your behalf. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, Brescia are deep in the Maya at the moment. I think they're on their, is it their fourth or fifth manager? Because they keep on rehiring Pep Clotet, who is the ex-assistant for... Mas um, What's it called? I've forgotten his name. Bielsa, of course. Bielsa at Leeds. Mm -hmm. So he was the ex-assistant down there as well. And yeah, so he's, I think Pep Tet is now the fourth time back at Brescia now. It could be fifth. Who knows? Um, but Cellino likes his managers, right? He's never yeah. happy with them at one point. And uh, yeah, they're deep in a relegation fight amongst some other teams, including Spal and Benevento mm -hmm. as well, who I forgot had Simi, the fantastic uh, striker <laughs> from Crotone that many years ago. Um, but yes, it's a fascinating situation down at the bottom because you've also got Venezia as well mm -hmm. so uh, lots of big names in that kind of mix at the moment we've seen a lot of teams that have dropped from Serie A into Serie B and then go straight to Serie C it's becoming like a kind of mm. motorway down Great there just yards. straight through <laughs> there's a lot of big teams that are going to be down there but finishing up in Serie B before we very quickly go to Serie C um we have to kind of give our kudos to Palermo fans 
who made yes. the longest possible journey in Italy today from Palermo all the way up to Sud Tirol, which is on the border of Germany. Mm. So you're going from Sicily to the border of Germany. 3,000 kilometers and 30 hours if done by oh, road. Wow. They did all that for a one-all draw. Um, Soleri equalizing in the 48th minute after Mustafa Cisse gave Sud Tirol the lead. Sud Tirol are a team that are kind of, they, they've been threatening to get up for a few years. They're currently fifth in Serie B, um, still pushing for the playoffs. And uh, Palermo up in ninth as well, not a million yeah. miles away from the playoffs. So that was a big game there. And very quickly, we need to go to Serie C. You've talked about um, Chilino getting managers back repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Well, fans of Serie A in the 90s will be delighted to hear that Zdenek yeah. Zeman is back yeah. at Pescara for the third time, guys. Now, they're currently in Serie C. Again, they are pushing for promotion. Now, this guy, if we all remember, if you think that like Bielsa is a bit maverick with attacking football, um, Zdenek Zeman <laughs> is next level i think he's he, when he was at roma he had that kind of front six yes. for a long time um incredible team to watch play not particularly great defensively <laughs> but entertaining football so it'll be interesting to see if zeman can actually keep mm. pescara up there because they do tend to win like six seven and stuff like that like what are you, mm. do you have any memories of zeman i just love him just smoking on the sideline constantly for me zeman is just fun he's just fun mm -hmm. personified but it does feel a bit random as well that kind of appointment and when i saw the rumors this weekend i was like nah that's not gonna happen but yes pescara shock us all uh, by taking zemin on and yeah all i can say is just strap yourselves in and get ready for the football scores because they are going to be some fascinating scorelines coming out of pescara because they're a team we'd love to see back at Serie b as well right rory Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That is the club where Verratti got his first start was Pescara, yes. right? They've brought through yeah, a yeah. lot of good players down there. Um, I was just looking at his managerial career, right? Quick question. What year do you think Zeman, he's now, I'll get his age. He is um, always oh, 70. Yeah. The first season he managed. Let's give us a guess, guys. 1985. Oh, Adam, what do you think? I'm going to go lower. I'm going to go 78. 1969, three years after Ooh. England won the World Cup, this guy had his first managerial position. It was at <laughs> Chinesi. My dad was nine years old when Zeman first took a managerial position. Wow. Mental. Um, so, guys, before we go to England, before we go to Italy, um, we're going to give you a quick little break. And we will be talking, Andy, we're getting there. We will be talking cup action <laughs> after I find the video this. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Here we are. It's time for the Carabao Cup final. And Andy, I'm going to let you go. The Ten Hag era has begun. How does it feel? Feels good. Yeah, I think it vindicates a lot of the positive work that he's done um, over the past what, few months or so. Um, and yeah, I think 
to cut a long story short, I'm absolutely delighted. But no, it's um, what what we saw yesterday has been the result of a good few months of team building, bring, bringing in the right players for once. Um, and yeah, despite what's going on off the pitch of potential takeover and all that nonsense that we discussed in detail last week on the pitch, it's um, a night and day difference compared to last season. Um, you know, if you look at the squad at last season, are they quite happy? They weren't particularly likable bunch they weren't they didn't have any fights didn't have much quality um it seemed a team really really at odds uh with each other and the fans um and yeah and i think since we've um got good players in you know sometimes football is a really simple game you get a good manager some good players and suddenly you start doing well <laughs> it's um, Funny that. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah. people people like to sort of go into you know real specifics and look for like an edgy view of it but that's basically what's happened um they've got you know for the first time since fergie they've brought in a manager who's at the top of his game mm-hmm. he's you know his tactics are very modern um you know he, he's worked for likes of guardiola etc in the past he's yeah he's somebody that was right for manchester united at the right time um and i think what he's what Eric Ten Hag has achieved at the club has been nothing short of amazing so far, mm-hmm. and there's still you know potential to uh, more. But obviously, going on to the pitch itself, I mean, Newcastle they themselves have come an awful long way in a year or so. Um, but, I mean, obviously, we you know we previously said a lot about their takeover and all that, but in terms but in terms of what they've done on the pitch with Eddie Howe, and uh, they, they've bought they've Use the transfer market sensibly, but it's some really good players like Bruno Guimaraes, uh, re- really, really impressive footballer, to be fair. Um, mm. I mean, like I said, he probably, he probably, I'd have to take him at Man United, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think Newcastle are in a bit of a flux. Uh, well, they're in a bit of a transitional stage at the moment. Uh, I think the final, this final that they've got to won't be the last final, uh, they'll. Mm be in the next few years um i think the only difference was that a lot of the players you saw on yesterday it'll probably be the last time for them <laughs> that they'll reach the final uh because going you know if you look at the Newcastle lineup yesterday it's a bit a bit of a mix and match of players that they they brought in so they brought in the likes of sven botman trippier uh Grimaris, you know proper you'd argue top half you know the European quality um, players, but they've also still got some players from the old era. I mean, Miggy Almiron, he's had a good season, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to take the piss out of him too much because he's going to start banging in hat-tricks. <laughs> but, he will so, be listening. He will, he be, will listening. be listening. Yeah, I'm not going to make the same mistake that Jack Greenish made. Um, but I think, you know, to cut a long story short, I think we will see upgrades at Newcastle mm-hmm. uh, in the coming years. And I think... Um, what you saw yesterday was a little bit of that they had they played well they uh, they're aggressive they're in our faces uh, but I think a lot of the difference in that game was what they could bring off the bench mm-hmm. certainly yeah well I think when you like I like Jacob Murphy he's a decent Premier League player but he's not that difference maker that's going to come off the bench I think like you're talking about Almiron and Sam Maximan as well. I felt like it was really a bit mad because I love Sam Maximan as a player and he absolutely had Dallow on toast quite a few times, but there was no end product. So Dallow was like, okay, you can beat me three or four times if you want, but if you're not going to get it into the box, you're not going to get on shot on target. What's the point? And I felt like, 
as I was watching the game, I was like, oh, I think I, I said it offline. I was like, I think Newcastle have been the better side. Newcastle have dominated this. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, no, they've just had the ball. Like United had just completely controlled it, got the two goals as a quick one-two punch, which was directly off a Newcastle attack as well, which is always the way it goes, right? You miss an attack, the other team goes up, you'll render the score straight away. Um, but I thought, yeah, Newcastle, they just... And I was looking at their, their recent form as well. They've drawn three and lost their last two now. Drawn two and lost two now. And their problem has been scoring goals. It feels like the goals have just completely dried up. And you could see that yesterday. There was just wasn't that cutting edge. Callum Wilson didn't really get in the game beyond trying to kick Martinez. You could see <laughs> that he was just pissed off. Um, I feel like he didn't really get in the game. I thought Gr- Grimaish was by far Newcastle's best player. And I thought he had concussion at one point. I don't think he was completely fit. Um, and he was still their best player. The um, concussion protocols confuse me every single time. Because, mm. you know, we keep being told, yeah, they check him over, they check him over. It's all fine. We've, we're taking it seriously. And I'm there like two minutes later looking at him thinking, he's still seeing fucking double. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he was like throwing water over his face. Yeah. He was shaking his face. And I was like, was, that guy doesn't know where he is. Yeah, like, he wasn't with it. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think with Vance and Maxima, he's somebody I'm a fan of as well. To be mm-hmm. fair, but I think the smartest because I was a little bit worried. To be fair, the two players I don't, I'm always a little bit skeptical when they get a yellow. Is Fred and yep. Dallo because when they get one yellow, they've especially with Fred, he's got the potential to get another one very quickly afterwards. I mean, Newcastle players knew it because yeah. um, I thought the yellows were a little bit so-so, but they were proper after the referee at every mm. single occasion. And I thought, yeah. oh, there's going to be a risk getting sent off. But I think the best change that was made at half-time was that although um, Dallow was getting rinsed, he bought, took took him off at half-time, brought on Juan Basaka. And yeah. um, so Maximum got zero change out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, he might not be the best attacking fullback or the most modern fullback, but for somebody just to defend one-on-one against somebody, he is almost impossible to play yeah. against. You don't get anything out of him. Mm-hmm. Um whatsoever and I think that was a fantastic change and I think that's probably where the difference was in the second half United were able to make more impactful substitutions it took Fred off brought on Marcel Sabitzer mm-hmm. who you know he's a good all-round footballer it's a bit where he got the tackle on the halfway line immediately got up played a lovely through ball yeah. to create an opportunity um and I think I can't I don't know the exact details but he's apparently available for 20 million quid or something like that wow if make it permanent in the summer um which i'll just bite their bloody hand off to be honest um and yeah but i think um obviously i want to give like a casemiro little loving we do have a comment from monsport he's saying casemiro serial winner the guy just turns up when it matters eh yeah and and I think with Real Madrid, like, um, you know, his job was mainly to hold the fort whilst the other multitude of attack, world-class attacking talent, uh, you know, got on with it. Whereas at Manchester United, he's kind of not only doing that, but he's also, you know, we're seeing a lot more of his qualities in terms of playmaking and his general contribution at both ends of the pitch. He's on like five goals already this season, which yeah. for a primarily defensive midfielder is brilliant. And it's just the way that he celebrates, you know, tackles or shepherding the ball out and geeing them up. And I think um, you're seeing what it's like to, ha- I know it sounds such a cliche, but you're seeing what it's like to have winners in the squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the likes of Varane, who's won 
along with Casemiro, have won everything there is to win multiple times. You know, Martinez is the World Cup winner, has won trophies there. And I think when you when you bring in players of that kind of quality, who have been there and done that in terms of winning trophies, it does give the whole team a bit of confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just before I was coming on air, last season, that centre-back partnership, would have been uh, Lindelof and Maguire. And yeah. you know, I don't have nothing against them as individuals, but as footballers, I wouldn't have backed them to last a full 90 minutes no. without no. doing something stupid <laughs> to concede a yeah. goal. Um, and that's, like I said, and, you know, again, they're, they're perfectly decent footballers, but then there's a reason why they're not first choice anymore. And yeah, I think yeah. because you've been able to bring in players of that quality, I think another underrated one out of there is Weghorst. All right, it's not scoring any goals, but having seen a whole, having seen years and years of Anthony Martial just ambling about yeah. and Cristiano Ronaldo ambling about while sulking, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. to, to see to see someone you know at least able to run the, run the lines, run the channels, hassle people, um, he's he does a really selfless job for the team. And I think mm. having somebody who just went through brick walls, um, you know, it's a, it's a great quality to have. And like I said, he's not part of Manchester United's long-term future. He probably knows that, the club knows that, but he's given absolutely everything he has. And I think that's sort of a team spirit that's built. Mm. Um, I mean, look at how toxic the Manchester United dressing room was a year ago when Ralph Ragnick was still about um it's a night and day difference so yeah i'm absolutely delighted well it's great and i think like the what's happened is and i'm like adam i'm gonna get your thoughts on it as well but i think like with ten hag it's that strong personality that's come in and he's clearly the focus at the club it's clearly Mm. his decision he decides who comes in who doesn't he decides what happens everyone looks to him like even the united fans the biggest cheer was when he lifted the trophy like do you think it's kind of weird? I think the football's kind of almost going back to that. We've had the director of football controlling things and the manager being the head coach and not getting involved. We've seen what that happen, what happens when that happens at Chelsea. Do you think we're starting to see a lean now where it's that you need that one man making the decision? Because I would say Arteta at Arsenal is the same thing. Klopp at Liverpool is the same thing. Guardiola at City is definitely the same thing. Mm. Do you think we're seeing that lean go back that way? I think it depends on the type of individual. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think Ten Hag, what he's done is, there's lots of things that I've seen more recently about Ten Hag and his upbringing. So there's a really good clip, which I forgot to tag both of you in, but it's him when he was younger and he was questioning Johan Cruyff. Yes, I've seen that one. Fucking of a clip, that. It was insane because, what is he, seven or eight years old when he's questioning (laughs) Johan Cruyff about what he does with young players? And you just go, shit, this guy from that age was that kind of clever and he, he could have read the game so well. And I think there was a, also a really funny one that I should have tagged both of you in, but it was um, basically an animated clip of what he's done at Man United. So there was Fred and McTominay bashing this car and they're basically <laughs> trying to work this car. And Casemiro just comes in, opens a bonnet, fixes it, and then like Ten Hag's like, good then he sees Ronaldo <laughs> in the office so he shuts the office locks him up gives the keys to Rashford Rashford <laughs> then goes into the car you know switches it on and then drives off and basically the analogies there was nice. just that he's getting the best out of the players there 
I, I mean, I can't say any more than what Andy's kind of alluded to, but yeah. I think I think what he's done even with Valt, Valt was incredible yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing that Andy's forgotten about is probably just that almost shot that he almost scored. Carrius had the best save of that match. Yeah. Had that not been saved, that was going to be a classic number three, basically. Mm-hmm. Um superlatives. I mean, he seems yeah. to be just getting a tune out of the existing players. And you think, right, now he's got the ability of a summer window to build on it and he's going to be able to attract those talents now coming through. There's no doubt that, you know, the big players will want to join now, Man United. Yeah. So, I mean, he just seems to be building a philosophy and a culture, which is what Arteta's done at Arsenal. Mm-hmm. So, alluding back to your point, obviously, I think it's certain individuals suit that kind of style um, because the worry is with these clubs, they don't want one individual to make that decision. But yeah. with Ten Hag, I think he's done a magnificent job and he was the right person who had the right credentials, but the right qualities. Ultimately, mm. if you think about teams that have got directors of football, how many of them have lasted? And yeah, not yeah, many. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. So, Man no, I think done a good job. I think yeah. you're right. We've seen it at Leicester, seen it at Brighton. Like, well, we've not seen it at Brighton. Brighton is still going. But, you know, like mm. even Atalanta, kind of the director disappears and the whole club kind of disappears a little bit. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. I think, I think the best thing, I was in the Guardian, I think Barney Runny it was. And I think he's simply, I think the best way you put Anderson United at the moment into Hog, they've got an adult in the room. Mm-hmm. finally <laughs> yeah, yeah. and i thought when i read that i thought you know what that's a really good way of describing mm-hmm. what kind of what's happened yeah all they've all Manchester united have needed to do for a club of their resources is just to have one person who actually knows what they're doing yeah 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 <laughs> and, yeah, 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 yeah yeah and a clear direction that's it like that's, yeah. that's all you need but andy i've got a very quick question i got the feeling that the glazers aren't gonna sell what do you think yeah, there's been lots of um, rumblings about that one at the moment. And I think what it seems to be, there's five Glazers. Uh, you only ever see two of them on rare occasions, but there's actually more of them, unfortunately. Uh, they multiply. <laughs> yes, I'm afraid so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> keep, keep, a reprodu- keep a reproduction for you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, non- nonetheless, uh, there's um, three of them that don't have really have any involvement in the running of the club at all. Avran and Joel are the ones that are involved in it more on a day-to-day basis. And the under, for what it's been reported a lot is that they're the two that seem to be keen to um, keep hold, keep control of the club. Mm-hmm. And the other part of it as well is that as well as obviously potentially looking at a full sale, they haven't ruled out maybe getting an external investor in. Uh, mm. whether that be for equity or something like that. Um, it's not 100% guaranteed, but it could. I think the other take I've seen as well is that it could just be a ploy to um, get the interested parties to put yeah. up more money. Yeah. Uh, it's it's quite known that they want, what, six billion quid for Manchester United? I mean, yeah, it's not yeah. me that set. It's not me Fine. that set the price. Is what they yeah, feel they yeah, yeah, yeah. It. No, someone's um, going to pay it. Someone will. And pay to be it. fair, if someone will, if someone's there willing to pay it, then they'll get something like that. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of the initial bids that have come in have not are not of that quality. So I think what you're going to yeah. see over the next few months is lots of back and forth, back and forth. One week yeah. it'll be this. One week it'll be different. I think all to these 
the way I see it, it's not something that's in my control. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something I could do anything, we could do anything about. You know, hopefully the, the fans will put the pressure on, as they always do. Uh, yep. They were thinking plenty of Glazers out chance yesterday, mm-hmm. um, giving them a few pelters and Maguire blanking in at the trophy presentation. Nice. It's probably nice. one of the best things he's done. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think the end will come at some point because the amount of money needed to do things like, you know, redo the stadium or build yeah. a new one, depending mm. on what we decide to do. There's lots of regeneration needed in the training grounds, not to mention the on-the-pitch stuff. So yeah. there's a lot of um, things they need to find money for. Um, and apart from selling the club, I'm not really sure where they're going to get it because I don't see who's going to give you... It's like me, you know, Rory, I'm going to give you £2 billion, but I don't want any say what happens to that £2 billion. You'd be like, thank you very much for the money. Okay, cool, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go That's... get into human trafficking, see you in a bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll be there in like two years, like, you did what? <laughs> That's been, you know, that essentially is how little sense minority investment mm-hmm. makes, so yeah, I don't yeah. see how they're going to get that, unless it's in the form of... Um, so I think one group of people that seem to be involved is the Elliot group that I equity mm. fund that seem to be involved at AC, AC Milan. Man. And that just seems a sketchy. little bit dodgy, a little, a little bit, bit sketchy. Dodgy. Yeah. Yeah. To put it the least. So yeah, we'll see what happens. I suspect when we go on the pod next week, it'll be a completely different story. Yes. Um, yeah. So Quite we'll possibly. see. But I think at the moment, all United could worry about or as a fan, all we could worry about is what happens on the, pitch between now and the summer and then when may june comes we'll see what happens off the pitch nice well for now you can celebrate first trophy of the season it goes to old trafford and yeah fantastic result newcastle you will be back again and i think you you probably deserved one goal i'll give you one right i'll give you one but we need to move on to the premier league and we're gonna start with it's all come out today Apparently, players are very angry that they're being left out of the squad. People are starting to doubt his ability. It all seems to be falling apart around Graham Potter's ears. Even that Muppet Rory, what's his name, has been on TalkSport 2. They've made a TalkSport 2. I blocked TalkSport and then TalkSport 2 came on There's my a, Twitter feed. Why is there There's a, another why account is it, I've got a block. Why is there a, talk, why is there a TalkSport 2? Like, did we not talk about enough? Enough shite, basically. Never enough shite in the world, Andy. Never enough shite. Gabriel Bonnehor's got to pay for a second house. I don't know. Like, something <laughs> that they've got to keep. A, but he's been on there. It all seems like it's falling apart around Graham Potter. The point that annoyed me a little bit is, as a player, if you go into a club that you know has a massive squad, right? You know the squad is huge. You know that only 25 players or whatever it is can be registered on a game day. Like, I understand you don't want to be the one who doesn't get registered, but you can't be surprised if it happens, right? You can't be like just the whole of the stand behind Graham Potter just filled with reserve players. Like, oh, no, he's here. You're in the squad. Don't worry. But a terrible, terrible performance from Chelsea. Yet again, just toothless, slow, zero direction. Um, Adam, I'm going to start with you. What did you make of this before we get on to Tottenham? Chelsea look terrible. They do look terrible and I don't know what you can do to change that because the problem is, you've, as you allude to, there's a lot of new players that have come into squad. They take time to embed, to learn from each other. 
But the problem is you've got a rot that started since the beginning of the season. So mm-hmm. it started for under two cool. Obviously, the board and all of that has changed. It's been pretty much diminished by Bowley. He's decided that he's going to try and revamp this squad. And you've got a scenario now whereby if he does decide to sack Potter, who does he go out and get? And, you know, it, 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 it baffles back. me because, yeah, it, it literally <laughs> looks like you could bring back Tuchel because he's the only one that potentially might want it. And plus, I think a lot, I think a lot of new, I think a lot of Chelsea fans would take it. Like, yeah. I think a lot of, I think the best of Chelsea fans is just for Ted Bray to go to Tuchel. Look, I'm sorry, mate. Can we put it behind us and we'll do what you wanted in the first mm-hmm. place? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and carry on. But, they, I think the stat came out. They're actually closer to the relegation zone than they are the top four at the moment. Yeah. They're only ten points away from um, the relegation zone. When does um, FFP kick in again? This is going to be so fun. Oh this god, yeah. Fun. Oh, imagine yeah, if they drop. Exactly. Imagine if they have a real stinker, drop down to the championship with all of those players oh. on eight-year contracts. Um, well, that's it, it the relief, right? They're all on eight-year contracts. Yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> Loyalty. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they just look toothless. Though. I think we've said it every single week watching Chelsea. Why didn't they buy a number nine? In the- I, I think this is like, and it's clear, that we said it from the beginning, Todd Bowley had no idea what he was doing, right? It was just Arsenal want Mudrick, we're getting Mudrick. They want Fernandez, we're getting Fernandez. They want him, we're getting him. Like, he had no idea what he was doing. But I think this is why I kind of feel like it's kind of not Graham Potter's fault. Like, he was a manager at Brighton that did a very good job, right? We can all say he was doing amazing at Brighton, he did amazing at Swansea, he did amazing everywhere he went, right? But he was a manager who was very streaky. Brighton's results were always, they go on long winning runs and long losing runs. Mm -hmm. They were very streaky. So he's not a manager that was just like consistent, who had a set system. It was like, obviously Todd Bowley didn't, he just saw this team's overachieving. That's the manager. I want him. So I think Graham Potter's come into this job and he's been thrown all these players. He was kind of getting a system and then the January transfer window came up. You remember he was playing, he changed his formation loads. Yeah. And then he started to settle. And then the January transfer window arrived. And he's got all these new players in. So just as he was starting to settle, it's all been disrupted again. And then it all for me comes down to as well, the players clearly don't give a shit. Like mm. there's only so much he can do. But when Mason Mount comes on and he's ambling around doing the square root of sod all for the 10th game in a row <laughs> or ZH yeah. is on a one man mission to get sent off or like Reese James has a zero effect on the game. Like he just feels like there's only so much Graham Potter can do. Now you can say that's because they don't believe in him because of who he is or because of whatever. But if I was a Chelsea fan, yes, I'd be angry at Graham Potter, but I'd be much angrier at the players because they are putting in nothing in a London derby against mm-hmm. Tottenham. And that is not a good Tottenham team in not particularly good form. Tottenham just cruised through it. It looked like yeah. honestly a training match. If I was a Chelsea fan, I'd be fuming at the players. Like Andy, I'll go to you first. Do you put the blame more at Potter's door? Is it Bowley? Is it the players? Like, what do you think the biggest issue is? I think it, the biggest issue is that they've bought, it's just such a disjointed approach to squad building. Mm. Um, you know, under Abramovich, they had a very, very clear 
pathway as to what they wanted to do, whether he agreed with their philosophy of just yeah. stockpiling players <laughs> and loading them out for eternity <laughs> for 10 years until they finally leave. But they they had um, you know they had a good a good policy and a good approach for it, whereas Ted Brady's come in and it's just so scattergun. Mm-hmm. Um it feels like the manager needs to have a bit more of an input. Like there's no point spending half a billion quid if you're still starting Kai Havertz as a striker. Kai Havertz is not a striker. You can keep playing him there, but he's not going to give you 25 goals a season. He, he's a mid, he's an attacking midfielder who's been playing in the wrong position for about 18 months. And unfortunately for him, it's no sign of it ending. Um, and that's where they are at the moment. Obviously, Sterling's been a big disappointment. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he does what he he, he did a couple of uh, soft little dives where he probably gets <clears> a penalty <throat> if he's at Manchester City, but not at Chelsea these days. There's <laughs> <laughs> already his agents already knocking on Arsenal's door. I saw the stories today going Sterling in shock move to Arsenal. He does not want to be there. He does not want to. <laughs> no, be there. no, no, no. Uh, it feels like with Sterling, he's kind of moved because he was getting shoved out the door at Manchester mm-hmm. City. Yeah. Um, it, it feels like at Chelsea were the only ones that were going to pay 50 million quid for him. So it's, you know, even though he's a even though he's a London lad, like it feels like stylistically he would have been a better fit for Arsenal. I'd take him at Arsenal still, yeah. honestly. Yeah, I'd absolutely. Take yeah, him. he is. Like, he is. He is a good player, and I think what's so disjointed, you've got Enzo Fernandez um, on one side of midfield, and they still play Ruben Loftus Cheek. Somehow he mm. still gets into a starting lineup yeah. at Chelsea after spending half a billion quid, and that is kind of where. You go and look, how can you spend that much money and still have, you know, Loftus Cheek and Conor, Conor Gallagher as your primary mm-hmm. midfield options? Uh, yeah. it's, you know, they've got they've they've spent millions of quid on that Andre Santos fella who oh, can't get a work permit. <laughs> yeah. Like rule one of one of football manager. Yeah, is, yeah. Don't fall <laughs> for that one. Don't fall yeah, for that rule one. Rule one of one of football manager, right? Is <laughs> you check and go, right, will this dude get a work permit before I spend X amount of money from him? The second yeah. question, if the answer is yes, crack on. If the answer <laughs> is no, you go, okay, am I happy to spend this amount of money that I play for a player that I can't use for three years? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where can yeah. I loan him to? Uh, back yeah. to Chelsea's old model. They didn't um, even have... They even have that figured out because they tried to load to a club in Brazil like nah and the Galaxy were interested apparently might be off to another club in Brazil there was no planning involved so this poor lad's arrived in England and gone can I do anything? No. Just <laughs> zero. Yeah, draw me. Can we clean the changing rooms? Draw no, you're not allowed, mate. Yeah. Not allowed to. <laughs> yeah, in fact, you're not even allowed here, really. So <laughs> it's just yeah. it's just shoddy, but um, yeah, I think. As long as it doesn't go completely two tits up for Chelsea, um, I think they will stick with Potter and see if they can work it out during the summer. Mm. Uh, but results do need to turn around sharpish. It genuinely could get massively hand because even their next game, mm. I think, is Leeds. And Leeds are like absolutely fighting for a win at the minute. So it's not going to get any easier. But Mondesport Eve coming in, evening chaps. Getting rid of Tuchel, they think, was the biggest problem. So they're putting the blame at Bowley's door. Adam, do you agree? Yeah, he's got to take 
part of the blame um but i also feel like potter needs to take part of it as well as the do the players i think mm-hmm. um potter needs as andy alluded to he needs to find a formula that will get them a result whether that means he kind of you know drops half the team so be it but he needs to do something because right now it doesn't feel like even in that spurs match he had a plan b he didn't know what else to do with this squad he didn't seem to have like a philosophy going on. I, I couldn't work out during the whole course of the match what their aim was, apart from just kick the ball sideways. There was nothing that kind of, to me, indicated that he understands what he's doing with this squad. Equally, the players, they don't seem like they give a shit, as you've said, um, but also they don't seem like they care. I mean, I think mm. Mudrick was the one that played the most and he only came on like with five minutes to spare. So if he's the <laughs> only one really... that's running around, that really tells you. So <laughs> even Aubameyang seemed to contribute uh, more in that, that whole match yeah. than some of those players. Um, but Bowley, yeah, I mean, he should never have sacked so many people to begin with, when he first went into the team, he should have really just assessed it as the course of the season. Sure, he's got lots of ideas, but he didn't have anyone lined up. And that's the whole problem. He didn't have a director of football. He didn't have a chief executive lined up. The chief of finance was mm-hmm. gone. Peter Cech was a classic legend at yeah. the game. And again, he just dismissed him. So he completely dismantled what was there. Granted, he may not have liked it, but at least just live with it for like 12 months till you get the right people in. And that's the thing. I wonder if it's a cultural thing, because in America, you can just tank a season. Like NFL teams and basketball teams will just, when they know they're going to finish, they're not going to win. They just start losing because, well, you get draft picks, you get the first draft pick, whatever. Like it's kind of... It's no maybe that's teams. what maybe that's what he yeah, thinks happens. Maybe maybe you want to something. Yeah, maybe he thinks, Oh, if we finish as low as possible, like 18th or something, we get Lionel Messi. And what's gonna happen is I'll finish 18th, <laughs> get relegated, he'd be like, Oh my god, we get first first pick of a draft next season. <laughs> We're gonna get Lionel Messi. <laughs> and then no, you play Burnley away, mate. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Welcome to it. Luton Town, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I also, I also apologise for the absolutely dreadful American accent, but nonetheless, um, I was impressed. I was impressed. What's, um, what's, that, what's but I think maybe days? like culturally, genuinely, he's maybe come in and just gone. We can just write this season off. It doesn't matter if we lose; we'll be fine. Not thinking that, well, you won't necessarily be fine. Like it could get really out of hand. Like not many teams are in worse form than Chelsea at the moment. And we're talking mm-hmm. Southampton have got a win more recent than Chelsea. Like yeah. they, they are genuinely in terrible form. So it'll be interesting to see how this one goes. I do just have to say, I'm really enjoying Mudrick. I'm sorry, mate. You should have just waited and come to Arsenal yeah. because seeing him get dragged onto the pitch when they were 2 0 down and him just like, oh, for fuck's sake. I was like, there was a bit of me that enjoyed it. I, I apologize. Um, I'm a petty man. What can I say? But we need to move on in the Premier League. We're going to do a very quick bit on the title race before we talk about the relegation battle. City and Arsenal both win. City battering Bournemouth 4-1. Um, I was really hoping this one was going to go one way. And then within 10 minutes, I think they were like 2-0 up. I was like, oh, great. City are balling out. Um, but Bournemouth, they put up a bit of a fight, to be fair. I think they probably could have had a bit more in it. Um, Lerma getting one late on. Haaland scoring. Foden scoring again. It feels like he's in mm. Pep's good books again. We're starting to see Foden again. That's a good thing, right? I think so. I think so. I, I'm not 
personally convinced he's back to his best, though. I think he had moments in this match where he was kind of misplacing passes, not reading where players were going. So I think there's still that kind of telepathy that maybe mm-hmm. the other players have got, to be fair. But yeah, it's good to see him back on the pitch, let's put it that way, because he has been frozen out for a while, it seems. And I think it was a few games ago against Villa, I want to say, where he blasted one sky high when he should have mm-hmm. scored it quite easily. Um, it's just that little bit of indecision. I think even against Nottingham Forest, he was through on goal, and for some reason, he decided to pass it and the Nottingham Forest player got in the way of it. So, again, it's just that indecision. But you, you wouldn't normally associate that with Foden. I think he's a bit more clinical on his day. Mm. He can be really clinical. So, yeah, it's good to see him at his back. Uh, best, should I say. Um, but Bournemouth, I didn't feel had their best game here. They were pretty poor at the back. They didn't know what to do with the ball mm. half the time. And yeah, it does look a bit worrying. And they're in that mire now. They are, like a few weeks ago, they were just above that relegation zone. They're now planted in the middle of it. It doesn't look too pretty for them, especially now that they've given Gary O'Neill the kind of reins to be the manager. It doesn't look like there's a chance of them staying up when you play against the other sides. But maybe it's just a blessing that Everton are on that downward spiral since that Arsenal win as well. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, no, I also <laughs> I also think like it's, it's harsh to judge teams when they come up against City. I thought that towards the end, when City obviously took their foot off the brakes yeah, a bit, I thought sure. Bournemouth showed a bit of fight, came back into it a little bit. City were obviously just kind of trying to see the game out. But you're right, they do look defensively all over the place. For Arsenal, they scraped a 1-0 win. Um, and I just have to say, Ben White is a rascal. Um, <laughs> if... If you're this way inclined, on Twitter, there is a great page called Out of Context Ben White, and it's just the weird <laughs> shit he does during matches. Um, my personal favourite is Erdegaard celebrating a goal, and he just flicks a ball so it bounces directly off the top of his head. And Erdegaard's like looking around like, who the fuck's that? He's a weird guy, Ben White, but I love him. <laughs> this is the weirdest one to be ruled out. Now, it was obviously, it was the right decision, right? Ben White is holding onto his arm. Danny Ward can't go anywhere. I get why it wasn't given. What annoys me is that nobody appealed for it. No Leicester defenders. Danny Ward didn't appeal for it until the ball went top corner. And then they were like, oh, wait, wait, he was grabbing my arm. Like, so that annoyed me a little bit. But Trossard robbed of a goal. I thought Arsenal, I say scraped. It could have been a lot more comfortable. Um, I feel like we dominated the game completely. <clears throat> Leicester got nowhere near it. Um, they had one goal disallowed from Ianacho that was offside, but apart from that, I don't really remember mm. them. I think there was one shot. They didn't have a shot on target. Their XG was 0.01, which is the lowest yeah. ever in the Premier League since records began. So Arsenal completely dominated this game. Great to see. 1-0 win. On to the next one on Wednesday, Everton at home. Jesus Christ. Just on to the next one. We've got to win every game now because you know City are going to go on a fucking mad run. Um, Down at the bottom, let's start with West Ham. We were talking about friend of the show, Tom, not wanting to talk about the happy hammers. Well, they're a bit happier now. Declan Rice Mm. pinging one top corner. Danny Ings getting two goals. Um, Andy, I think I said Danny Ings was going to be a disaster of a signing. He looked pretty good. I mean, I don't... Danny Ings... Is good footballer. He just doesn't really play much football, which I think yes. is the bit that's um, awkward. I think he's obviously found himself out of favour at uh, Villa since Unai Emery came in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with Daddy Eggs, he's quite... If he's scoring goals, there's a place for him in the team, but I don't think he gives you too much off it. Um, 
but I think that's what West Ham need. They just need somebody to take the pressure of Mikel Antonio and come and score a few goals. If he only scores five or six goals, that's still enough to probably to keep West Ham up. Um, and, you know, I think West Ham are one of the only teams towards the bottom end of the table that could go and afford to spend that kind of money on Danny Ings to bail them out the shit. So, um, yeah, I think some West Ham fans are happy because that means David Moyes stays in the job. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) So maybe it's not all uh, roses for them. But no, it's a game that had they not won that, um, I think think they would have been... um, the effect would have been catastrophic yes. for them. Really, it's it's a pro- it was a proper six pointer. Mm-hmm. And although you know Forest are in like obviously like thirteenth, they're still only really a few points away. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody from Crystal Palace downwards at the moment could still get dragged into that relegation battle. Yeah. And I think and, you know there's nobody out of it yet either. Um, but no, I think West Ham played well yesterday. I think the difficulty that they've got at the moment is been able to string a bunch of results together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, because that was very much an outlier compared to their recent form. because uh, they have the basically of David Moyes' sides have seen it over the years is that he can set up a team to defend really, really well. Um, uh, but when they conceded an early goal, but like we did get all this goal, a bit like we did against Tottenham. He doesn't mm-hmm. seem to have the ability to be able to change things around a yeah. little bit, yeah. uh, which seems to be where the issue is for them. Um, and that you know, the next game obviously is Brighton um, away, which will be. A I don't think they've beaten. I don't think they've beaten Brighton since they've come into the Premier League either. I'm pretty sure I remember Tom saying that. I think their record against Brighton is absolutely. They have got some six pointers coming up because mm. they've got uh, in the next few games they've got they've got um, Villa at home. They I imagine West Ham will expect to get something yeah. out of that at home, especially. City, they'll get fuck all out of, as most teams do at the Etihad. And then the big one on the 2nd of April is um, Southampton. Oh, that, that I think, will decide what happens at the end of the season for them. Um, We will see. It's a big improvement for the Happy Hammers, but we do need to say (laughs) Forest in their away form, Adam. Jesus Christ, they don't lose at home. They they don't lose away. They get slapped away. This was brutal watching from Forest, right? Yeah, it was pretty brutal. I don't know what I would say is the cause of it, but they just can't seemingly defend at the moment. It didn't look pretty for Navas as well in goal. He just seemed to be despairingly Mm. just trying to keep the goal line or score line even down. Um, But I was just looking at their fixture list. It's not looking too pretty. They're going to have to take the most of their points at home at the moment. The next game is at home to Everton, which you feel is like (laughs) a big game already. Um, They've still got to play the likes of Leeds. I was looking down further down the list. That's away. They've still still got the likes of, say, Newcastle and Man United at home. Um, But even when you were looking at the fixtures, they've still got away games or away trips to the likes of Liverpool and Tottenham still to play. Um, And then going towards the latter part of the season. So if we're thinking about the last three games, away to Chelsea, at home to Arsenal, then final day of the season, away to Crystal Palace, which you think that's quite brutal. So they're going to have to make the most of this kind of fixtures in the next month or so. Otherwise, they really could be in the mire by the end of it. So, yeah, it's not looking pretty for Steve Cooper's men. Um, but 
I feel like they've got enough quality in the squad. It's just wherever they can pick up the points. Yeah, I think there's worse there's worse teams than them. Like you said, they just need mm. to make the city ground a fortress for the rest of this year. Yeah. It has been a tough place to go. They just need to make it a really, really hard place to go. Elsewhere at the bottom, Javi Grazia, new manager bounce, mm. make sure that Leeds get all three points against Southampton. He decides... Now, in a touch of genius, a wing-back that everybody knew was better at attacking than defending, he let him attack, and Junior <laughs> Furpo got a goal. Who knew that would have worked? Um, I think this is kind of a bit of classic new manager bounce, but I think Leeds just looked a lot more pragmatic, a lot more organised. I thought they used their wingers incredibly well. Um, Yonto was really, like, really involved in things. I feel like Grazio it looks like has got a pretty good grasp on this squad quite quickly. He, he didn't even have a day to train. I think he had one day mm, yeah. to try and be uh, like, right, this is the idea. Now go out there. I don't know what you can do in a day. Yeah. Beyond like four at the back, four in the middle, two up front, you know what to do. Like, uh, but an incredible <laughs> This is result. why we sat here. There was a bit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, that's probably a fair point. Um, but an incredible result for Leeds. Massive win. Southampton keeps them firmly in trouble. Um, I think this Grazia appointment is very sensible. Adam, very quickly, what do you think of Grazia? Yeah, yeah, I think he's very good. Um, he's obviously not their favourite choice. Let's put it that mm -hmm. way. We said that on Thursday's pod, but I think he will keep them up. Um, they've got the quality in the squad. Um, if he can just do this kind of pragmatic style of football, they'll win at least the fair share of the games. That's what they need at this point. It's just points on the board. It doesn't matter by how you do it. And it's not about attractive football at this stage. I think it's just making sure they stay up in the Premier League. And that's what he'll probably deliver. So I think it's a very sensible appointment at this stage. Better than Southampton's as well, it looks like. It does seem that way. And they've got Chelsea next up, so they'll be fine. Um, what we need <laughs> to do now is we're going to finish the Premier League there and we're going to talk Serie A. It's been a big weekend in Serie A with some mm. beautiful goals and some beautiful games, maybe. We will yeah. see you on the other side. Hi, I'm David Wheeler and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian podcast. It's Serie A time, benvenuti, and there's only one place we can start. The spicy Sundays are back, as Milan actually are looking like a proper team. Now, I remember last year when they were winning the Scudetto, they had a run where they just kept winning 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, and you were like, oh, they're just getting this done now. It's not pretty, it's not, but they're getting it done. They've kind of gone through that run. This is now five clean sheets in a row for Milan, which is mental considering they shipped five to Sassuolo, right? Mm -hmm. Five clean sheets in a row. They've gone from the efficient to what I think was genuinely a performance of beautiful football. Andy's gone again. Uh, he's lost interest. A performance of beautiful football against Atalanta where the Bergamaschi didn't get a sniff. What did you make of Milan's performance? I think they were just really assured. They didn't let... Atalanta settle on the ball and I, I don't know about you Rory but Atalanta didn't seem to have a clue what to do like between mm -hmm. those two halves like I was expecting maybe second half Atalanta to have a bit more idea but even the likes of Rasmus Hoyland and Adamella Lukman they just didn't seem like they could get into the game and that's credit to I think a combination of a bit more assured kind of self-confidence I think as well and that's from Mike Mannion being in the squad, that started it off. Huge. Obviously, Tiao, who we've been talking about for the last few weeks, he was really assured. And then in that midfield, then we had basically 
Tio uh, Hernandez really doing fantastically well because he decided to attack a lot more, but then drop off into the midfield centre as well to cover when players went off. You saw the likes of Tonali, Krunic as well dominating, mm -hmm. and Briam Diaz seemed really good, but Junior Maceas on that right-hand side, he seems reborn at the moment. And even Giroud, that layoff for yeah. Teo Hernandez, yeah. uh, that was incredible. But then Teo Hernandez's shot, I think, gobsmacked the whole San Siro. Um, mm -hmm. And then second half, as I allude to it, unfortunately, just Atalanta couldn't get a grip of the game itself. Yeah. They yeah. didn't know what to do. And it's just that yo-yo Atalanta side, unfortunately. It's just such a shame because I was expecting maybe a bit more prevalent Atalanta turning up at the San Siro because the fans obviously came in big numbers as well. Such a shame, Rory. But good performance by AC Milan. Puts them mm -hmm. back into a shout. And like you say, they seem a lot more sure. They seem like a better side. And who knows, it does feel like they could have a better half to this season now. Um, one word on Lialdo. He looks like a man that is struggling still. He yeah. could not finish anything at the moment. No, he kind of technically got an assist. Um, yeah. But I, I think he should have scored two or three. He had some really good chances yesterday. Um, but I think he's kind of going through some... I think his head may have been turned. Um, but I thought for Milan, they were just balling out. There were so many back heels, so many intricate yeah. passes of play, so many like just beautiful football. I thought... You could just see, the, like you said, the confidence oozing from them. The back three of Kalulu, Tiar, and Tamori looked solid with, of course, Manjan at yeah. the back. Now, Tiao has been an incredible signing. He's just been so, so solid since he came into the team. He was kind of bought as a prospect. I don't think they, ex they expected no. him to have such a big role as he is having so far this season. Um, but there were some stats on him that I wanted to find him. So versus versus Atlanta, 38 passes, 89% pass accuracy, five out of six long balls, four tackles, five clearances. He won half of his aerial duels, five out of seven duels won. He's 21 years old and he looks so assured and so mature on the ball. I thought, like, I love these players where they just completely exceed um, expectations and so quickly and I think the Milan fans now are really excited about this guy they've got and alongside Tomori and Kalulu two players who were so key to the Scudetto win yeah. last year I think they can just coach him through games and I think I'm going to have to stand corrected on Macias I wanted him as an attacking midfielder but this right wing back role that yeah. um that Pioli has seemed to put him in is working wonders. And I think what, like we've talked a couple of weeks ago about whether like Milan, are they going to sack Pioli? Is it time? Has the magic yeah. run out? And I think what it shows you is that football, well, one, we know nothing. And also <laughs> patience, patience really is a virtue. And I think Milan have kind of waited and gone, no, it's fine. He still won us the Scudetto. He's still not like, and they've waited and waited and he's, he's coached them back through and he's brought in this new system and he's allowed them to grow into the system. And you can see now, if you compare, was it the game after the, it was the Milan Derby where they tried to play three at the back, right? And it just didn't yes, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could see they were nervous. They didn't know what to do. They had no, they just didn't know how it worked. And yeah, now exactly. against Atalanta, you could see they knew what they had to do. Everybody knew where everyone was supposed to be and what their role was. And it was just a really, really impressive win. For Atalanta, I think it was a little bit of stage fright. They got there, the game got away from them, and they just didn't know how to react. As you said, yeah. Milan were able to see the game out fairly comfortably, and it could and should have been much more 
comfortable. But for Milan, that puts them level on points with their intercity rivals, Inter, as they're both on 47 mm -hmm. points. I think Milan, their objective now has to be to finish second. Um, it has to yep. just be, let's be the best of the rest. Uh, we'll get on to Napoli. I don't think Milan are catching them. But if no. Milan can get best of the rest and with Inter looking so uh, unconvincing, um, I think that could be possible. But we do very quickly need to say, yes, that Teo goal was unbelievable. And Atalanta mm -hmm. is also the team that he scored a goal that's currently up for the Pushkash Award from last year. The goal that yes. basically won the Scudetto where he ran, yeah, he did a George Weyer, but from further back <laughs> and just beat absolutely everyone as he powered it into the net. Like, I, I love Teo. Um, he's a shit house, but he's a great, great player. And it, the, I think there's very few wingbacks that like, attacking-wise are as good as him. Attacking-wise, one of the best. And he's just an absolute athlete. Like the way he runs just forever. I thought it was a really, really solid performance mm. from him. And he's recently signed a new contract, I think. Um, so he's going to be staying at Milan for a while. The Milan fans will be happy with that. But moving on across the city, still for the top four battle, and a player we still haven't yet jinxed. It's a miracle, people. Orsolini um, scores again. As his yep. form continues to and Bologna, now they're just they're a team that we I'm going to start falling in love with very quickly. Bologna, and I'm going to kind of go. I'm going to tell you why. But Orsolini now in his last. Now I was looking at his stats in his last one, two, three, four, five games. He has two assists and four goals. He's absolutely crushing it. Um, in the across the season, he's now got seven goals and three assists. And he's a player that's really, again, when he was young, he was rated as highly as Chiesa. He's a player mm -hmm. that people are really excited about. But this wasn't all just about Orsolini. He got the goal. No. Now, before we slag off Inter, we need to talk about Bologna. And they, this kind of slipped me by. I remember hearing it and then I forgot. They brought in the director of football from Atalanta. Yeah. And I think we are going to see a team that starts to emerge. Now they've brought in players like Xerxes, who was a really highly rated young striker. Didn't really work for him at Parma because they went down and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But they've started to bring in some players like Ferguson. And like, there's a yeah, few yeah. players there where you're like, they're being very clever in the market with Thiago Mata, this great run of form and this resurgence mm -hmm. continues. How impressed were you by Bologna? I thought they were just a really steady performance, professional, calm, and with a lot yeah. of quality. They've been building on this kind of momentum that they've been doing for the last few weeks. And we talked last week about Orsolini and how he should be in the Italy future national squads because his form definitely justifies it. But as you allude to, there's some really good players in that squad. Posh, for example, the right back, he's been scoring a few goals. On the other side, you've got Cambiasso, who I really rated from his time at Genoa, mm -hmm. um, obviously got relegated, was sold off to Juventus, then loaned out to Bologna this season, had a fantastic game in this particular match. He seems a threat every time. So he's a player that really will get better and better in time. And I really do think that he could become a force down the left-hand side. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, just across the pitch, as you say, Ferguson is another name that we talk about. Mo Barra has been doing it for a number of seasons, to be fair. And then you've got Skorupski in goal, who, yeah. you know, I think he's one of the most consistent goalkeepers you can mm-hmm. get in, like, Serie A, let alone at Bologna. So, you know, there's always been a core, decent squad. And then you think about Arnautovic as well. The first part of this season, he's been scoring a lot of goals. Gone a little bit cold. That's what he yeah. does, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> yeah, it never lasts. Yeah, it never lasts. He's a bit like Stoke City, never really lasts. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But this is a team you should be excited about because Motta has come into it. Obviously, a bit of doubt because I think he came off some bad times back mm-hmm. at Spezia, for example, come into this. And yeah, he's really solidifying this squad, giving them a prospect to potentially push on in this league. And dare I say, could they be the exciting outsiders to the top six, top seven mix? I mean, it's maybe too, too late, but I I would be delighted to see them in that mix for sure. I would love to see it. They're currently, let's get the rumors starting. Let's get the hype train going. They're currently six points behind Atalanta. Atalanta have now lost three in their last five, though. (laughs) So Bologna are there ready to take advantage if they need to. I'm just looking at their upcoming fixtures. They have got Torino away next, Bologna. Then they've got Lazio at home. That's definitely a winnable game. Lazio, you Mm -hmm. never know what they're going to do. Then they've got Salernitana away. We'll be getting on to Salernitana. They've made (laughs) us look foolish. And then they've got Udinese at home. So they've got four kind of steadily winnable games there I think where they yeah. can get something whereas Atalanta have got Udinese next no uh, yeah they've got Udinese next and they've got Napoli away Ooh. um Empoli at home Cremonese not away, easy games yeah. apart from Cremonese yeah like but there's yeah. some tricky games so I think maybe we could see Bologna rise I think it's great that like it's a team like I love Bologna as a city. I love the stadium. Mm, um, I loved the work Mihailovic did there. He always seemed like such a nice bloke. And I feel like they're a club that really has a lot of potential there. So it would be great to see them um, pushing on. And it looks like an exciting time to be Bolognese. So hopefully we'll see them have a great end to the season. Um, for Inter, bloody hell. That was really, really, really mm. depressing. Um, and now I said the Porto game, they won, but they did not deserve it. Um, yeah, that like it was, it was awful. And I feel like we just saw that lack of attacking threat again. Um, it felt like Bologna were just waiting to score, like they knew they'd get a chance. And if they scored yeah. one, then the game was over. Like again, Lautaro very quiet, the midfield unable to create anything, Dumfries completely ineffective. It feels like it's kind of now the Scudetto's out of reach that the momentum is really slowing down there. Do you think Inzaghi's struggling to get them motivated? I don't know if it's motivation, but you think about the quality in that squad. It needs a revamp, definitely. And unfortunately, they are being kind of tight-fisted with the purse strings at the moment. They are the brokest. Unfortunately, they're just going to be a club that is just churning out and squeezing out the last bit that they can get out of these players. I do feel sorry for Inzaghi, but then there is an element where you go, he doesn't seem to get the consistency out of this Mm -hmm. squad because they can do it, certainly when it comes to cup competitions. 
just in the league. Like big occasions. Really yeah. big thing. And I saw this really fascinating stat, which was Bologna have now, first time they've done a won a back-to-back home wins against Inter for the first time since 1999. Wow. Um, and Inter have now lost seven games this season. That was the same amount of games that Conte lost over his duration at Inter in his period of time, which you think, right, it's, there's a lot of question marks about Inzaghi and his credentials, but then you look at that squad and you think, well, no one's really doing it for them. No one's, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a centre-back in Skriniar that's going to go off in the summer, for example. Onana's just shouting at his players, for example. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it doesn't feel like there's a settled side. And unfortunately, the frustration about interseason is they can win it against the big sides when they want to. They showed it at, mm-hmm. against Napoli early on in January. But they lose these little games that they really should be winning. And that's yeah. that's really the issue. So I think if they stay in the top four, that's an amazing achievement. But mm-hmm. Interspire to be in the top two, not, you know, in yeah. the top four. I think that's the problem. And yeah, just that investment piece. I think you we've already known about the Zhang piece and the fact that Inter fans aren't happy with Zhang. They want him out of the club and you never know. They may get their wish this summer, but unfortunately, up until that point, there's not a lot they can do, really. So let's wait and see. He's back. He is <laughs> back. Uh, Andy's back with us, guys. Sorry if you're not on the video. Andy is back. Good to have you, mate. Um, I'm just going to continue where we go. Sorry. I'm, with Inzaghi, I think there is a point to be made that he should be getting more out of this squad. There is more quality mm-hmm. than we're seeing. Um, but I think... I, I think what we're seeing is a, is a lack of focus. And as you said, dropping points against these games where you just, you go, like, okay, just get this one in the bag, get it done. Yeah. And they just don't quite turn up. I feel like they were really pissed poor. And I did see mm. the Uncle Sharma tweet before the game. He was like, oh, lunchtime kickoff and it's pissing it down away in Bologna. We're definitely <laughs> losing today. And he was absolutely <laughs> right. It just seemed like they did not want it. Um, yeah. So for Inter, that kind of really... As I said, level on points with Milan, they are six points within the top six, <laughs> within the top mm. five. Um, so it is definitely all still to play for. They need to turn this form around um, and kind of bounce back from this win- from this loss as quickly as possible. Um, otherwise, it could all spiral. Not, not great. But for the, we need to carry on in Serie A, and we're going to go down to the relegation battle and. Salernitana have well and truly <laughs> shut us up. We were giving them all sorts of pelters, absolutely battering them like everybody was battering them. And Ad- Andy, they've made us look stupid. But yeah. some beautiful goals, right? Some beautiful goals and worse defending, but the goals yeah. are. <laughs> the goals were absolutely fantastic. There, the first one is just oh, chef's kiss. Look, yeah. I just love a curler into the top corner. Uh, it felt like it was curling around for eternity before it actually got to its destination. Uh, but that, it was, um, yeah, whoever was, I think Salonatado obviously listening to the pod last week where he said they get relegated. <laughs> <laughs> he stuck it up on the wall and was like, see what these clowns yeah. are saying about it. <laughs> so, even, even the second goal from Castanos was um, just... Just that, like I don't know where they got that confidence from. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't mm. from their previous form, but yeah, it was just um, three really good goals, and I think um, it takes the pressure off them um, a tiny bit. Yeah, 
it wakes them up. I think it's a bit of a wake-up call of, oh, we can play football when teams let us play football. Now, Monza really let them play football. Um, Adam, what did you think? We firstly have to say Piontek. Just yeah, Piontek. he looks amazing. Great, yeah. right? It was incredible. Strange. So strange because he's the analogy of Wojciech Szczesny, but in a striker format where he, he plays these games. He... Uh, you know, even for that first one, if he doesn't make himself a nuisance, that doesn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's the incredible thing. But Piontek, unfortunately, and I was having this debate with someone else on Twitter, was like, he's never really evolved his game since that season at Genoa. He's always been someone that really has relied on people just supplying him the ball and expecting mm-hmm. him to turn it in. Unfortunately, he needs to be a bit more wily in the box. He, he can't just rely on that. And I think Salernitana, obviously, Salsa or Sousa even called it in the middle of the week by saying he needs to be sharper. He needs to be looking at his game a lot more. And he, in fairness, he did try. But when he's skying it after taking it past the goalkeeper, you know, it kind of sums up his game, unfortunately. He just hasn't got that quality. And yeah, he needs to really look at himself and go, what is going on with my career? Like, where do I want to be? Do I want to be back in the Polish extra class or do I want to be <laughs> in the international team? You know, because this is the thing. He probably aspires to be in that Polish national side. There's an opportunity where Lewandowski will probably move on. So there's a huge opportunity for him, but I don't think he's the caliber that really kind of stands out for me. But Salonatana, if they can get a tune out of him, he probably will do a job. He, you know, that's the problem. You only want a striker that can score between eight to 12 goals a season. That should mm-hmm. do it for him. So he could do that. But yeah, I, I have my doubts. Yeah, it was it was good to see just flashes of the brilliance that we've seen previously. <laughs> um, but Monza were absolutely shocking. They've now gone from like yeah. a they had that really great seven game unbeaten run in Serie A and it looked like they were making a charge and we were talking about how great they are. They're still having a great season. This this loss does not define their season. But this this performance was truly shocking and I've never seen defenders stand off attackers more in my life. <laughs> like They were just like, oh, just, just see what he does. Just see what he does. Oh, okay. Top corner. Nice. Um, it was some pretty, pretty shambolic defending, but Salernitana were there to take advantage and that it's what matters. Koulibaly, that first goal, you're right, Andy. Absolutely beautiful. Um, but down elsewhere, down at the bottom, um, we have Udinese 2, Spezia 2. And it looked like Spezia mm. had kind of thrown this game away. They went 1-0 up um, through Anzola. They'd be delighted to have him back. Um, he got a goal in the sixth minute. Uh, Udinese were then able to go... One all, two one. Pereira, do you remember him from yeah. Watford? Um, the ex, well, they're all ex Watford at Udinese, aren't they? But the ex Watford <laughs> yeah. player with a goal, and then Beth uh, Enzola again Better. in the seventy second yeah. minute. Um, Adam, what do you make of Spezia? They showed a bit of fight here, like they're they're, they're not running out of hope, are they? Oh, and uh, Enzolo is going to be the big player that comes back into it. If his goals can come and help them up the table, that's all they need. Um, we were kind of saying it a few weeks ago where it seemed like they were struggling for goals, but Enzolo, he's, he's a very good player um, on his day. He can take opportunities like he did against Udinese. I think they'll be safe. Shmorodov came off the bench as well. And the player that I do like is Augusto. He's that kind of just behind the striker. He can play really well. I think he'd do very well at a bigger club. He's got the age on his side as well. So another potential talent. And so, yeah, I think they're a solid side. 
it's a very big point for them um helps them to be dragged off that kind of i suppose where we've been quite kind of saying for the last few weeks they've been slowly being dragged into it but it helps by the fact that hellas verona as well lost today against yeah. fiorentina fantastic goal by biragi from the halfway line uh Jeez. if you haven't seen it please do watch it um, but yeah, big win for Fiorentina as well, uh, Rory, because we mm -hmm. were talking about Vincenzo Italiano and his career, uh, chances of staying in that role, should I say. Um, but yeah, big win for them as well. It is great to say. I want to very quickly say Udinese are settling into Udinese Nuss. They've now yes, not won yeah. since the second, 22nd of January and their 10th. That's, we got our <laughs> hopes up. You had us, you had us at the yeah. beginning there. You had us in the first half, but you've let us down in the second. Um, for Fiorentina, it seems like Italiano has really brought um, their their conference, sorry, conference league scoring form into Serie A, finally. Mm. They had a mad 7-2 aggregate win over Braga, yeah. where all sorts happened. Um, but in this game, yeah, 3-0 against Verona and a player who is in my Fantacalcio, Cabral, he continues this great run of form as now in his last one, two, three, four games, he's got five goals this is a player from Ball that we were all excited about when he turned up. He was absolutely crushing it in the Swiss League. And it, we've said it before, it felt like it was taking a while for him to find his feet. Well, he is finding, has found his feet. Five goals in four games, and he scored again in this one. Verona, this would have been a massive, massive mm. win for them. As you said, with everyone kind of, or a lot of the teams losing around them, it would have been huge. But that does still leave them three points behind Spezia in 18th place kind of running out of time but i think if any of those teams are going to escape it's going to be verona um they're the ones that are showing a bit of fight and a bit of improvement um but we need to leave Serie A there i think that's everything oh no napoli napoli won again napoli. guys anything to say about napoli also have scored again napoli won still 2-0 <laughs> again <laughs> we'll move on <laughs> one one thing done. they are on course to beat juventus records of uh, winning the league by 102 points. This was set in 2013 and 14 season. So after 24 games, Napoli have scored 65 or uh, have 65 points, sorry, scored 58 goals and conceded 15. Juventus that same season had 63 points, scored 59 goals and conceded 19 goals in the process. Wow. So they are very much on course to beat that record as, oh, as it stands. As yeah, it stands. winning it isn't good enough. You need to take Napoli's record. <laughs> winning it, uh, Juventus' record. Juventus record. Um, yeah. Winning it is no longer good enough. But yeah, uh, also Mario Rui getting sent off for a very, very stupid yes. red card. Just yeah. that first chink in the armour of like, okay, guys, keep your head a little bit. And also... If you've heard the clip of Spalletti shouting at Cavalla, Cavalla, you see the line, look at the line. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, um, just perfectly clear on the mic. Absolutely love Spalletti. Um, but we do need to very quickly do a bit of preview. There's some midweek football, guys. Um, in the Premier League, we do have some games in hand well, this yeah. mythical arsenal game in hand that we've all been talking about we <laughs> face everton at home this is the bloody chance get revenge um i'm i'm relatively confident but i'm going to go to you two guys how do you see the arsenal everton game going and then we need to pick apart liverpool wolves who jesus christ that palace game mm -hmm. was terrible I think it will go the way of Arsenal. Uh, personally, I just feel like Everton don't look like they have a clue since that game against Arsenal that many weeks ago. Um, but that said, it 
it's typical Daesh to go to the Emirates and shithouse their way to yep. another 1-0 win. So I, I will just say that I think Arsenal should win, but whether it happens, I don't know. Go on, Andy. I, I, I'm going for a big old shithouse win again. Um, <laughs> how could I guess? How could I yeah, guess? The, the, yeah, the dice, the dice horn will keep... there's an image um nice and the other game is liverpool wolves liverpool had an awful terribly dull nil nil draw against crystal palace how do you see them getting on against a wolves team who lopetegui seems to be getting a tune out of a very good point away at fulham um yeah uh, adam i'll go to you first how do you see this one going I think Wolves could spring a surprise. I, I think they've got it within them. They almost did pull off the shock against them in the FA Cup mm-hmm. and really do fancy their chances. So Wolves do need points as well. Um, Liverpool weren't terrible by any stretch of imagination, but they do look still like a shadow of themselves at the back. Matip a few times was calamitous and leaving them quite short at times. Um, it just doesn't feel like they're in a good place and... Trent, we've talked about his credentials a few times on this pod, but again, he got rattled against Palace. He did mm-hmm. not look himself. So again, there's a bit of chink in the armour where you can get at them, definitely. So I'm going to say 1-0 win for Wolves. Wow, nice. Andy, what are we thinking? Sorry, two seconds. Cut off for a second. Which one again? <laughs> Liverpool Wolves. What do we think? Yeah, sorry, it just like froze it's right. It. But yeah, no, I think I think uh, Wolves could beat them. Uh, they've got a bit of momentum behind them. Uh, Liverpool look ropey as hell, um, mm. especially at the back. Um, and in what shouldn't really be the case, you kind of feel that Wolves have got more in midfield than, yeah, yeah. Um, than um, they do. I mean, that lineup they've they put out at the weekend of Liverpool when they put out Henderson, Cater, Milner, like that is not actually five years ago that might have been yeah. a good midfield, but at the moment it's not. Um, and you feel they have to switch it up somehow. So, yeah, I can see Wolves getting a result. We shall see. I think, actually, yeah, you're right. Ruben Neves in the Wolves midfield would do a very good job in the Liverpool midfield. I feel like they should really be targeting him next season. And, guys, because the Serie A never stops and they just want us, I don't know, (laughs) I don't know why, but today as you're listening to this or tomorrow as you're watching this, um, we do have some Serie A matches. We have Roma taking on Cremonese away. At half six, if you're off from work, that's European time, um, you can watch that one. I think we all know how it's going to end. And then we have another game that we think we all know how it's going to end as Juventus host Torino. Very quickly, guys, do you see any upsets on the card in these games? Andy, I'll go for you first. I mean, Torino winning a game sometimes is a bit of an upset. But, um, yeah. I don't know. Oh. Not too sure, to be fair. I think it'll be relatively one of the mill I think, uh, midweek fixtures for that one. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not feeling super, super bold and seeing any shocks. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe Criminosia might win a game. Swallow are prone to be on shocker. And there was a point last week where we were on the pod and they went one the They were winning. Five minutes. <laughs> we were um, winning. Yeah. So, yeah, who knows? Um, but, um, yeah, I, I don't see too much in the way of uh, shocks happening. Nice. Adam, what do you think? Can Torino upset the odds? 
I'd love them to do it just so we don't have to put that meme of Wojciech Szczesny saying it's <laughs> yeah. happened again. Um, but otherwise, I'm much with Andy. I would love Cremonese to actually cause a shock and win mm. a game. So, uh, yeah, it does feel like a 1 0 for me. I, I feel like did, that's going to happen. They did knock Roma out of the Coppa Italia, right? They knocked yes, Napoli and Roma true. out. So, you know. You never know. Uh, we will, if they do, you can guarantee we'll be talking about it on Friday morning, listeners and viewers. I guarantee you that. But guys, anything to say before I send these lovely people home? There's no. there's on. FA Cup fixtures. Oh, that is, well. is and then midweek. I feel go. like I feel like we should meet them. So we've got Stoke City versus Brighton. Um, so and so yeah, can deserve we do it on a cold, wet Tuesday night at Stoke. We're about to find out. <laughs> we are, yes. Um, Leicester City, Blackburn Rovers. Um, I feel Could Leicester probably thought it's the sort of game where they can make a few changes. Fulham versus Leeds United would be interesting. I think that feels very much Spicy. a free hit. Um, up um, in my area of the woods, Bristol City mm-hmm. are playing at home to Manchester City. Um, yeah, that's a massive game for them. Uh, so that'll be Ashton Gate's apparently been sold out for weeks, nice. um, probably by Bristol City fans rather than Man City. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then we've got uh, Southampton playing Grinsby Town. I think Grinsby Town, I think to understand, are the lowest ranked team left in the competition. Um, a long old yep. journey on a Tuesday uh, night as well. Jesus Christ. Yeah, indeed. I think that's probably the long yes, probably the longest array trip you could probably mm. do. Um you've got Burnley playing Fleetwood, which I don't think would be one for the neutrals, but yeah. uh, <laughs> someone will enjoy it. I'm it's sure. happening yeah. and it's there, and I saw it sure <laughs> yeah. somebody will watch it. Um uh, Manchester United versus West Ham. Um Oof. at home. That's all Games to United and West Ham always seem to be quite spicy. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm sure that won't be any different. And we've got Sheffield United versus Tottenham. I think it'd be a very, very Tottenham thing to do to beat Chelsea and lose and against lose. Sheffield United. <laughs> Especially, Bramwell Lane is a tough place to go as well. And I think, um, yeah, I think um, that could be a shock of the cards there. That is a very come on, you blades up the blades. Let's do it. Let's have it. Uh, <laughs> nice, thank you, Anne. You completely saved me there. The FA Cup is always in my blind spot. I really need to follow I... the tournament on my FOP mob for some reason. I don't, <laughs> and I always forget about it. Listeners, I'm about to do it now. I promise. Um, so guys, that's it. Thank you for joining us. We will see you on Friday morning. Um, yeah, thanks for joining. Say bye, guys. Ciao, ciao. Podcast Network. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.